Hello everyone, I'm Ken Kurtzel. Welcome to News & Brews, our weekly to the point video series where we discuss new developments related to the coronavirus pandemic and other emerging issues in college athletics. As always, I'm here with my partner, Katie Davis, the leader of our collegiate athletic services industry practice. And today we're, we've brought part of our band back together. Joining us are two of our teammates, Brendan McKittrick and Shane Metzler. We're shifting gears today to talk about something not COVID-19 pandemic related. As we approach the end of June, many athletic departments are working on closing out their financial year. And this is the time of year we start hearing questions from our clients about which NCAA categories to record various revenues and expenses. The NCAA has their own unique membership manual reporting system where member institutions submit financial data detailing operating revenues and expenses related to their intercollegiate athletics programs to the NCAA on an annual basis. This data is populated so that institutions can not only view their data, but theoretically also compare and benchmark with other schools. However, we find that there are many unanswered questions in NCAA guidance out there and many unique factors that don't truly make this reporting apples to apples. Each year we reach out to the NCAA on behalf of schools to help gain clarity around their unique circumstances. And the work we've done here has inspired us to create a special segment of news and brews that we call, which line is it anyway? We have an extensive list of category questions we have researched over the years. We'll do a round robin with our athletics trio of Katie, Brendan, and Shane to share their top FAQs this week. We plan to continue featuring this, this segment periodically to best inform you on unclear financial reporting requirements. Katie, kick us off. Thanks, Ken. So I'm gonna, we're just gonna share a few today and we'll come back to you with more. Um, but we felt that these were relevant is that we hear the questions a lot and they could be helpful, uh, especially for some of the unique items that are happening for you this year. Um, so the first one for us was guarantees on canceled games and how do you report that? And the NCAA actually issued clarity in their 2020 agreed upon procedures document around this where you would report uh, amounts received in line seven for guarantees or amounts paid in line 21 for guarantees. Uh, even if they're paid for canceled games, it would still be picked up as guarantees. Yeah, the, <clears throat> just wanted to say thanks, Katie and Ken, for inviting us on here. Really excited to be here and talk about NCAA agreed upon procedures. Uh, the one I want to kind of speak to is internal loans for operations. We actually had a client this year, kind of in a unique circumstance. They they got a loan to help fund operations. Um, and generally with loans, kind of on a simple uh, accounting transaction, you would think, you know, debit, cash, credit, debt. However, when we were talking to them, they they kind of expressed, hey, that, that's not really the intent, intent of these funds. They're really to, again, fund their operations. So we actually went to the NCAA and kind of explained their situation and the NCAA agreed with them saying, hey, since it is for operations, we recommend that you include it in lines uh, category four, uh, direct institutional support. And if those funds were required to be paid back, also in included in category 52, which is athletics related debt. Another kind of major one that uh, we wanted to bring up is conference distributions and the four different categories that they can be reported in. So conferences distribute funds for a variety of reasons. Um, and there's kind of four categories that the NCAA has that you can report those funds into. So the first one is just general conference distributions. Um, and that would include just general conference revenues, surpluses, um, and shared revenue from the conference. 
Then there's also conference distributions of bold generated revenue. So that would include any um, revenue coming directly from bowl games that the conference participates in, as well as you know college football playoff. Um, that category is exclusively for football. The third category is media rights. So that would include um, you know funds from uh, conference networks like the SEC network or Big Ten network or just general cable or uh, network deals with you know ESPN or CBS. The last category that um, conferences can distribute funds for is NCAA pass-through revenues. And so those would go into the NCAA distributions line. Yeah, so the next one I'm going to cover is excise tax. Uh, so many of you are familiar with the new uh, rules from the IRS that say that um, executive compensation over a million dollars could be subject to 21% excise tax. Of course, there's a lot of gray area around that right now. Uh, some institutions are recognizing that they do need to pay that. Others are finding uh, loopholes in the regulations that state that they may not have to pay that. If your institution did pay that, um, there is a different treatment based on how that was handled. So the NCAA put out um, an FAQ number 11 about this. One of the scenarios could be that your institution pays it directly and doesn't charge athletics for that. And in that case, that goes into category six and 36 as indirect institutional support. Uh, the next scenario is that your institution pays it and charges athletics for it. And in that case, it would go into categories four and 35 as your direct. Um, the third option is that it's paid directly by athletics. And in that case, it would just be expensed in category 35 as direct overhead and an admin. Yeah, so the other one uh, kind of interesting this year was contract buyouts for coaches, uh, which actually not a lot going on right now. But, you know, recently we've had a lot of activity there. Um, so there's kind of two sides to that. One is the schools buying out the coach and then this, the other side's the coach getting bought out. So I'll kind of talk about kind of the easier side. So when the mm. school's actually buying out a coach, so they're actually paying out money, um, really the NCAA recommends that that be included in category 40 of other uh, operating expenditures. Um, on the flip side, it's a little more convoluted uh, <clears throat> In the FAQ, they actually have some guidance in there essentially saying, hey, any of those revenues received if your coach is being bought out should be net against salary expenditures. Now, we actually had a school go through that and they argue two things. One, well, it's going to really distort the picture of what's going on during the year. Um, you know, it's going to decrease our salary expenses. And if we're trying to compare against peers, it's really not going to make much sense. And two, um, it's really the purpose of those monies are to fund operations. They're not really to pay for the new coach's salary expenses. So we went back to the NCAA, kind of explained the situation, and they agreed. So actually, in that specific scenario, there was some money spent to move the new uh, the new coaches to the school. So they used that portion to offset those expenditures, and then the remaining was actually picked up in other operating revenue in Category 18. And I think there's kind of two big takeaways there. One is what's the intent of the money, similar to the internal loan for operations. So what are they planning on spending that money for? And then two, what's the intent of the NCAA report? 
we all know it's not perfect and there's some flaws in there, but you know, really what they're trying to do is have some comparison amongst other schools. So knowing those two, that's where it really kind of comes back to, yeah, for our situation, we wanted to, again, offset part of the moving expenditures and then the remaining mo money was gonna be recorded in category 18. Another tricky situation that we've come across is um, when schools have sponsorship agreements that include um, the ability to purchase uh, sports equipment or uniforms or supplies at a um, large discount. Um, so we asked the NCAA how you know, that should be accounted for. And essentially what they said is that the expense for those, you know, that equipment or uniforms should be recorded at the actual retail price. And then the difference between the retail price and what was actually paid for, um, that discount amount uh, would be recorded in sponsorships, licensing, and royalties. All right, thank you, team. Um, now it's time to pivot to the all-important brews portion of our uh, broadcast. Um, we've been supporting our local Gainesville brewers lately uh, during this pandemic um, with purchases to help keep them going. And it's been a long tradition in Gainesville that the different breweries get together and collaborate on a beer that they produce each year called It Takes a Village uh, to come off of the Ville part of Gainesville. And um, this year that was obviously not possible uh, for them to quite collaborate in the same way that they have in years past. So what they've done instead was they came up with basically a basic recipe that all of the breweries uh, got to get, did individually uh, and put a little twist on that that recipe, each one unique to their own uh, their own brewery. So um, we have got three of those uh, samples from uh, from Gainesville, from Blackadder Brewing, uh, from Swamphead Brewing, and from First Magnitude Brewing. And um, so we're going to really just kind of, as Katie's shown there, there's the uh, the Swamphead one, um, the First Magnitude one, and then Blackadder, which does not can, does growlers. So theirs came to us in a growler. Um, so each of us have all three of them. Um, I'll kick us off. They're, they're all New England style IPAs. Uh, so the, the popular style right now, I like all three. They're all three very good. I think the first magnitude one is probably my, uh, my favorite of the three, um, maybe followed by the Blackadder one. But uh, Brendan, what do you think? I agree. I'd probably say number two to me, Swamphead, um, but they're all three fantastic beers. Yeah. Katie, what do you think? Yeah, I would I would pick first magnitude first, um, Blackadder second, and Swamphead third. They're all good, um, and they were close, but the first mag one is by far the best one. Yeah, yeah I right, also Shane, think what do you first, think? I like the first mag one best as well. Um, I think Blackadder was the second one for me, and then Swamphead third. All right, so uh, thankfully all three good beers uh, and good good things to to enjoy. Um, well, we want to thank you again for tuning into News and Brews this week. Um, you can you can watch us each uh, Thursday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern for a new episode. And you can contact us through our website or email directly if you have any questions. Uh, if you want to suggest topics that you'd like to see discussed here, uh, beer recommendations, or if you want to tell us uh, if you'd like to join us for an upcoming episode, we'd be happy to hear from you. Uh, and in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter for more news in the higher ed athletics landscape, which is rapidly changing and evolving. Thank you for tuning in. Cheers. Cheers.